Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley's behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-949. If we're going to call this next hour the Trey Hour here on WIP, we have to get to the latest news, latest rumors with Trey Turner, the shortstop, not the NFL uh, analyst. Uh, Trey Turner, the shortstop, is going to uh, well maybe be a Philly. We'll talk about that with John Morosi said today on MLB Network. We'll have that. Jack Fritz, High, High Hopes Podcast, will join us for a hot stove check-in one hour from right now. But uh, right now we got to keep the football talk on. We'll get back to your phone calls as well, Jonathan Gannon. But our guy, Trey Wingo, about to join the show to talk some football. The Eagles Week 13 around the NFL and that Niners defense, which is scaring everyone. Tucker, we're very excited to have Trey Wingo on. Yeah, and the one and only Trey Wingo is brought to us by Caesars Sportsbook. Your first bet is on Caesars. Bet up to $1,250, and if you don't win, you'll get it back as a free bet. Terms and conditions apply must be 21+. plus. All right, let's go talk to Trey here. As promised, a weekly guest, Trey Wingo, joining us right now talks of football. Trey, always appreciate you hopping on, and... Another week in the NFL and another Eagles victories. They get one over the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. Trey, there's a, a lot of ways we could talk about this game and what they did, but let, let's just start with Jalen Hurts and his performance. I mean, that I felt like I was watching a video game performance in the first half. Uh, Trey, what, what were your thoughts watching Jalen both run and throw for that many yards and that many points in the first half? Well, that's what we've sort of seen all season long, right? And, and uh, you know, we're, we're entering somewhat historic territory here. If you just take a look at some of the numbers, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, I want to make sure I get this 100% right for you, I think are now 15-3 and three, uh, uh, when, when favored, okay? That's the third best record among over 140 quarterbacks with at least 15 starts since 1985. So what the Eagles are doing is really, really good. Their 833 winning percentage is only behind uh, a streak by Steve Bono and Jim McMahon, and it's slightly ahead of Patrick Mahomes, granted with a much larger Sample size. Mahomes is 53 and 12, so we're talking about 65 games as opposed to as opposed to 18 games. But the minimum 15 starts. What you're seeing from Jalen is that a team responds to him and they find ways to move the ball. And when they're supposed to win, they win. And that's what you want good teams and good quarterbacks to do. Yeah, and Trey, the thing that has been so impressive, you know, last year they became a really great running team, and Jalen Hurts was a big part of that. But their passing game wasn't good enough. They go get AJ Brown. Right. Jalen's improved, and now they can throw it and run it. But it just feels like, just watching some of those highlights of the Packers game, it, it's, it feels almost impossible at times to figure out what to do defensively. If you kind of bring your safeties up for the run, they throw it over your head like he did before, the ha- you know, before halftime with the touchdown, you drop your safeties back, and they just maul you 357 yards on the ground on Sunday. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, listen, that, if you're an offensive lineman, you live for those type of games, right? Like, you're happy to pass block. But when you can just line up on somebody, and I was just looking at some tape of uh, some of the offensive line play of that Eagles win over the Packers. When you can just line up and, and know that you're just going to stuff it down your throat, it's the greatest feeling in the world. There was a great play where Lane Johnson actually pulled from the right tackle spot to get a kickout block on the left side of the line where the hole went through, and Miles Sanders picked up about 20-plus yards. That's so hard to do. And when you have a guy who started his college career as a quarterback, playing right tackle. That's sort of the fun stuff that you can do with that line. Kelsey does it all the time from the center position. But to see him pull from the right side all the way over to the left to get the kickout block on a hole that went through the three-hole there was absolutely incredible. Trey, uh, if there's one big concern I have right now uh, with a team that's 10-1, and it's tough to nitpick a 10-1, and but 
This is not a good special teams unit. I, I would say it's one of the bottom five special teams in the NFL. And I don't mean the kicker. You know, Elliott's a good kicker. He doesn't yeah. have to kick off, and he made a big one on Sunday, but they, they score a lot of touchdowns. But I just mean the coverage units. It, it's poor. And, Trey, there was a, a moment in that game Sunday where the, the Packers kick returner took the ball from six yards deep in the end zone and brought it to the 40. I mean, you, you rarely see anyone ever just bring it out when it's that deep, let alone bring it that far. We don't talk about special teams the way we used to and, with the three phases know, of the game, but it, it, it feels like it, it could bite them down the stretch here. Well, you know, Tony Dungy, when he was the head coach of the Colts, they always was on the special team. I think they put so on the offense rush with, with Freeney and Robert Mathis that, yeah, sometimes the, the special teams got a little bit overlooked. Uh, honestly, though, the other big concern I would have is the run defense is still an issue. I know you got Linval Joseph in there and Dominican Sue, but they still gave up over 100 yards on the ground of the Packers. I think the Packers averaged five yards a carry. Like, like the, the special team things could be a problem. To me, the bigger concern, Jordan, you need Jordan Davis back. Like, you just need Jordan Davis back there to clog things up in the middle as much as you need anything else. We're talking to Trey Wingo here. Eagles at 10-1, and one, and we'll get to this game coming up against the Titans. But, Trey, uh, the injuries are popping up for the Eagles as well. I mean, it's Jordan Davis. They did activate his practice window, so he should be back within the next couple of weeks, maybe this week, but we'll see when he, when he gets back on the field. But they suffered another injury uh, on Sunday with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson going down with a lacerated yeah. kidney, which just sounds extremely painful. So he's going to be out a little bit here. And, it, and coincidental or not, I'm not sure if it was uh, kind of put out there on purpose, but Malcolm Jenkins, the, the former great Eagle, who's now, uh, I guess, retired or just not playing this season after finishing out a Saints run last year, he went on a podcast here with, with a local um, you know, media person and mentioned if the Eagles called, he would listen what do you think about the idea, uh, Trey, of, of bringing back a guy like Malcolm Jenkins, assuming physically, and I'm sure he's in good shape, um, to come and be a depth piece in this secondary? I think it would be great um, because, first of all, you know he was such a big part of uh, that team that went and won the Super Bowl uh, in 2017. Um, and you know, he, was, he was just such an integral part of that thing. He knows what it takes to win in Philly. He knows what is necessary. And I do think he's in great shape. And, you know, by the way, last, lacerated internal organs are never a good idea. That's one of the reasons uh, Andrew Luck eventually retired. You know, it's just there was, there was too many of those things. So uh, I, I think if they call, if, first of all, I think they should call just, just to gauge what they know about him and wh- where he is and his ability to play. And if he can play, it might be a really, really, really good idea to have him around as, as a little depth, especially if the injury is going to be out for a while. And, you know, lacerated again, internal organs, that's not something that heals in a week. No, it doesn't. It feels like it's going to be a little while here for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Now, we have a little while to the postseason, so hopefully he's back. But the Malcolm Jenkins idea is certainly out there right now. Trey, the NFC, the Eagles have sat atop basically the entire year, but, and it's kind of been different, different teams jockeying for position as who's that next team. And it feels like right now over the past month, Dallas, San Francisco are starting to emerge. And some people think they've, they've caught or passed the Eagles. I know in the odds, the Niners are right there, if not above them, to win the NFC. As you look at it right now, how would you stack the teams behind the Eagles in the NFC? Uh, Niners, Cowboys, do you put those teams close to the Eagles, above the Eagles, same level? How do you view those? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in the Bill Parcells theory. This you are what your record says you are. So the Eagles are the best team in the NFC right now. I don't, I don't think that's much of a debate. Then you start looking. Okay, well, who who might be able to give them some problems uh, if when we get to the postseason? And I think the Cowboys and the Niners are the two teams that I would say would be concerning because of the physicality. We talked about the issue with the run with the uh, with the run defense, right? Well, McCaffrey. 
can run. He's not afraid. Look, everybody loves his receiving skills. He runs inside tough between the tackles. He's good at that. Then you look at the Cowboys with Tony, with uh, Pollard and uh, and Ezekiel Elliott. They are not afraid to run it and, and shove it up someone's gut. Um, and then the physicality of, of both of those defenses. The front seven for the Cowboys is good. Uh, obviously, the front seven for the 49ers is really, really good. So I would not put either one of those teams ahead of Philadelphia. But if you're starting to do that sort of playoff jockey thing, who do we see, who do we not want to see? Those two teams, I, I think, would give – Eagles fans a little agita, a little angst because of the way they play. Trey, you know, back in the day, it always used to be defense wins championships. You look at teams and you say, who has the better yeah. defense? And that typically, when we got to the postseason, it played itself out. And I think it's fair to say with the way the Niners are playing right now on defense, they have the best defense in the league. And I, I'd put their defense above yeah. the Eagles right now. But their offense, and, and I, I love the pieces they have, Trey. I mean, they have some big-time pieces on their offense from McCaffrey, Kittle, Debo, uh, you know, Ayuk. They, they have pieces – but yet, even Sunday against the Saints, they only scored 13. How do you view 13. it? I mean, I, I, would, I think the Eagles' offense is better, more explosive than the Niners, but the Niners' defense is better. If we get that matchup in January, where, where would you lean? Would you go to the team that has the better offense or the team that has the better defense? Well, there's another part of it, too, right? We, we sort of saw the game last year, the playoff loss to the Bucs. Everything was just a little slow for Jalen and the offense, and I think that they fixed that a little bit. But, you know, this Niners team has a lot of belief in Jimmy Garoppolo because they got to a Super Bowl with him in Super Bowl 54, had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter uh, against the Rams last year. And if Jaquiski Tart drops, uh, doesn't drop an arm punt from Matthew Stafford, which was an easy interception, the Niners might have gone to their second Super Bowl in three years with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback. It's just so weird because Jalen is the thing that makes everything go for the Eagles. And the Niners, it's like, Jimmy, just don't mess it up. Right? It's just a totally different dynamic. Let's rely on McCaffrey. And, and let the, they, now they have an injury, too, with, a, with Elijah Mitchell. He's out for a while, so that's a problem. And they rely on Ayuk, and they rely on Debo and, and George Kittle. They want to make sure Jimmy doesn't make the big mistake, whereas with the Eagles, they want Jalen to make the big play. And it's just a very, very different way of doing it. We're talking to Trey Wingo here. NFL Week 13 starts uh, tomorrow night with the uh, the Patriots and the Bills. Trey, it's interesting. Every every year there's another great quarterback class, at least we think, right? There's right. all these hyped prospects. Yep. And 2021, we'll give that more time. We know Zach Wilson is, is benched now. Lawrence is coming on. Fields came on. Mac Jones had a good rookie year. But it's funny. I don't remember the big, big hype in 2020. And, and that class... Um, are you starting to think we could have something special there with those four guys? You have Justin Herbert, you have Joe Burrow, who's already been to a Super Bowl and is playing great again. Um, you have Jalen Hurts, and now Tua. You know, both those guys yeah. in the MVP race. Um, have you thought about that 2020 class? We, we might have four you know, true franchise quarterbacks that are good for a long time in that class. That's pretty rare. It, it is very rare, and it's funny. Every year you try and duplicate it, you, and you mentioned the 2021 class. And, you know, Trey Lance is in that, too. He's, he's out for the year with the ankle injury. But right now that 2020 class is looking phenomenal. I mean, I don't think uh, the Chargers wouldn't give up Herbert for anybody. The Bengals absolutely wouldn't give up Burrow for anybody. The Dolphins are thrilled with Tua with the weapons they have around him, and you guys obviously are thrilled with Jalen Hurts. I, you know, I remember a lot of people were surprised when the Eagles took him in the second round. They're like, well, what does this mean? It means they thought he was really good and they weren't sold on Carson Wentz. And it looks like both of those things might have been accurate impressions. Um, but that 2020 class, is, if it keeps going the way it's going. Now, look, at some point, Herbert and the Chargers have got to get to the postseason. Uh, but 
you know, if, if, if it goes the way it's gone right now, that 2020 class could, could look as good as, say, the 2004 class where you had Ben, Eli, and, and uh, Philip Rivers, and even the vaunted class of 83. I know six quarterbacks were taken. Three of them got to the Hall of Fame, though. But three of them that didn't pan out, really, and three of them went to the Hall of Fame. So we're talking about that kind of potential in this 2020 class, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's high praise, but if they keep playing like this, I mean, obviously we have one guy that's been to a Super Bowl. We have two MVP candidates this year, excuse me, and, uh, and Herbert's an excellent player. So it could get there. Trey, let's look forward to Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Titans are coming in. Two really yeah. physical teams, two well-coached teams. I'm excited for this matchup. Eagles are favored by about five and a half points. How do you view this game? I mean, you said it earlier, the Eagles run defense. I mean, there's not many bigger tests than this literally and, and figuratively than Derrick Henry and the Titans. Yeah, and but he's been sort of slow the last couple of weeks. You know, he hasn't really gone off. I mean, he had, what, I think 37 or 38 yards on 17 carries uh, against the Cincinnati defense. Like, if the Titans are going to win, they're going to win ugly. That's just the way they're going to do it. Mike Brable is such a good coach. He's going to bring you down to their level. I mean, and just look at this is the A.J. Brown trade game, right? Uh, the, the Titans are the only team in football that doesn't have a player that has 400 receiving yards. Robert Woods leads them with 351 receiving yards, and A.J. Brown, who came over in that deal, has 831 yards, and he's well on his way to becoming the first Eagles wide receiver to have a 1,000-yard season since Jeremy Macklin in 2014. So uh, the, the, the Titans' defense is going to keep them in every game. Mike Brable's going to try and find a way to make it ugly. And after that 0-2 start to the season, they've been really good covering, really good against the spread, really good in finding ways to win. Um, but, you know, don't, don't expect things to be smooth. Like, they, the, the Titans do a very, very good job of making things difficult, and it keeps them in almost every game that they play. Yeah, they make football ugly, but they win a lot of games, and it works for them. Trey, always appreciate hopping on. We'll catch up next week. Thank you. You got it. Take care, man. That was great. Uh, Trey is always one of our favorite guests. So the Trey Hour begins with Trey Wingo there. And, Tucker, we always love having Trey Wingo join us. And and lucky for us, he's brought to us by uh, Caesars Sportsbook. Your first bet is on Caesars. Bet up to $1,250, and if you don't win, you'll get it back as a free bet. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21-plus. So a couple things he uh, he said that really struck me. I mean, I I have been very high on the class of 2020, the, the quarterback class. Now, I was high on... Herbert, the first time I started watching the NFL, Burrow, you know, last year really took a, a step towards superstardom. I have I've liked Jalen Hurts the whole time. Now I was I was totally on the other side of Tua. I didn't think he was going to be this good. I didn't think he was going to be any good. He has surprised me. Um, I'm I'm still skeptical Tua is this great, but he's obviously a a good quarterback. It's interesting. Um, Mike McDaniel uh, and and Kyle Shanahan they're playing each other this weekend. So Shanahan today was asked about Tua. And you know who he compared him to? A guy that he coached as a coordinator back in the day when he was in Houston. He compared him to Matt Schaub, which I don't think is supposed to be a knock. I think it's it's supposed to be a compliment. He was a pro bowler a he couple was. years. He was, he a was good, good player. until they gave him a big contract. Right. And, but I, I, I actually think that might be apt, right? I, I don't think two is great. He's obviously better than I thought he was. But the bottom line is that quarterback class, and I asked Trey Wingo what he thought about it, I didn't expect him to compare it to two of the greatest of all time. I mean – so the quarterback class 2020 with Jalen Hurts, it was Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Tua, Jalen Hurts. Now, Jordan Love's also in that class, and I know Darius Slay had some complimentary things to say uh, on his podcast about Jordan Love, but whatever. I mean, Jordan Love hasn't played yet. When he has played in, in very short spurts, he hasn't played very well. It's four. Like, that quarterback class of 2020 might have four 
long-term star players. I mean, that's very possible now at this point. Burrow is a, a star. He's established as a star, went to the Super Bowl. He's, he's right now fifth in the MVP odds. He's playing great football again, and the Bengals look like they're going back to the playoffs. I mean, you go to the playoffs two years in a row with the Bengals, you're probably pretty good. Justin Herbert is, is really good. Now he's got to win. they got to get to the playoffs, as Trey mentioned. They might. Their schedule's kind of favorable down the stretch, uh, and he's a really talented player. Jalen Hurts is in the MVP discussion. Two is in the MVP discussion. You know, when I asked Trey what he thought about that class, I mean, he brought up probably the two greatest quarterback classes of all time. The 4 class with uh, Rivers, Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, who, and those guys combined for, what, four Super Bowl wins? Obviously, they were from the two guys because Rivers didn't get there, but Rivers had an excellent career as well. And then the 84 quarterback class with Dan Marino, John Elway. And, and I mean, tons of Pro Bowls, tons of all pros, you know, a great quarterback class. So I don't know how long until this class starts getting that recognition. If another one of these guys gets the Super Bowl, like if this year they have another entry in the Super Bowl, I feel like that conversation starts. Like, wow, this class already has been in the league three years. They've been in the Super Bowl twice. Yeah. And do they have to make it into the Super Bowl on their second contract? I mean, we, we talk about how rookie contracts right. and quarterbacks playing at a high level on a rookie contract is sort of the ultimate cheat code. I wonder if they need to do it into their 30s, if they need to do it beyond just being those guys on the rookie contracts benefiting from, from loaded teams. You might. You might have to do that. Um, if I were to guess, I think one of these guys will. I know it's it's not happened much often, but if you tell me in the next six years – Right, so let's say uh, when their quarter, when their contract extension starts, they might all get paid after this year. So, right, so from twenty twenty three to twenty twenty eight, right, that that six season span, I'd imagine at least one of those guys, if not more than once, gets to a Super Bowl. We're talking about, I mean, we could have four of the top ten quarterbacks in the league moving forward. I think that's on the table now. I mean, certainly Burrow will be. I think Herbert will be. Hertz has put himself now in that mix. I'm not sure Tua will be a consistent top 10 quarterback, but he might be. I mean, they might be four of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL for the next five years. That is not a crazy thing to think based on how they've played. The classes beyond them, like the, the, the more younger ones, there's still a lot of projection there. I mean, who are the best chances? It's, it's Fields has a chance. I guess Trevor Lawrence has a chance. He's, he's turned this a corner the last few weeks. And then there's some guys that are still youngish that are, are going and will go for a while, but there's also older quarterbacks. I think they have a chance, though, those four to be consistent top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And, you know, you do that, they're probably going to win a lot of games and put themselves in position to get to a Super Bowl um, for a while here. I mean, who else is going to be a top 10 quarterback you could count on the next five years? Mahomes, Allen. I mean, who else in the next five years can you say definitely will be top 10 quarterback consistently? I'd say Mahomes, Allen, Jackson. We could put we could put Lamar in there. No, I don't know how he ages, if he ages gracefully or not, but even we put him in. So Allen, Mahomes, Jackson. That leaves seven spots like the next five years consistently within that top ten. I think the four we're discussing right now are the likely are li- are four likely guys to be in there. Maybe you want to say Fields, you want to throw Trevor Lawrence in, maybe someone who's kind of in the middle of their career ages very well. I'm trying to think who that would be. Dak, potentially, could age well and, and play well for a while, though he's not playing awesome so far this year. But it's it's kind of weird. We have a lot of young quarterbacks. We have older ones. And how many mid-aged quarterbacks right now are really good? 
Like, who who are those guys? It's Cousins, Carr, Dak, right? Is that is that kind of our mid age quarterbacks at this point in the NFL? I feel like it is. Yeah, I mean, you kind of look at quarterbacks over the age of thirty. I think Geno Smith is the only one with a, a passer rating over one hundred. Right. Everyone else has, has fallen off a cliff, and I guess this is the changing the guard we've kind of been expecting for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. Brady has taken a step back. Aaron Rodgers has taken a step back. Drew Brees retired. Phillip Rivers retired. Ben Roethlisberger retired. And then even guys like Russell Wilson, who felt like the sort of next generation in the in-between between Brady and Burrow, they're all taking a step back too. Yeah, I guess we could throw Watson in the mix. He, he should be in this mix uh, as he comes back this week. I, I kind of forgot about Deshaun Watson, and then I, was, I had an NFL Network on today, and they had a, a clip of, of Brown's practice, and I was like, oh, yeah. You know what I'm so glad? That we're not at the Eagles are not a four and seven team welcoming back to Sean Watson this week. I mean that reality was was there, very much so. And it, I mean that that could be that would dominate that would that would be everything we'd be talking about if, if that was the truth. And it's not. They're at a ten and one football team with their own MVP quarterback. But I thought it was interesting for Trey Wingo there, and he's on board with the idea of Malcolm Jenkins. He's on board with the idea of bringing Malcolm Jenkins back. Two one five five nine two ninety four nine four. We'll get back to the conversation. I believe Jonathan Gannon is a good defensive coordinator. Do you? And um, we got to talk about this Trey Turner rumor. Well, Jack Fritz at nine high hopes podcast for a a, um, a hot stove check in. But we got to let you hear what John Morosi said today on MLB Network with the idea of the Phillies continuing to be connected to Trey Turner, and a lot of people believing this is going to happen. We'll let you hear what was said today on MLB Network and what Buster Only of ESPN is hearing about the Phillies landing one of these top four shortstops. That's next on Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley is behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. That's how you hop aboard. Coming up 9 o'clock, Jack Fritz going to join the show. High Hopes Podcast, producer, of course, of Mark Cerise. We'll talk. We'll do a hostile check-in with Jack. Uh, his his big plan, his uh, kind of perfect off-season plan. Next week's the winter meetings. I can't wait for next week. It's always one of my favorite weeks of the year. Tucker and I, of course, trying to angle our way out to San Diego. Any progress on that today? No, do you notice Rod kind of walked out real quick when yeah. he saw us sitting out there? So you're thinking um, our brand manager, Rod Lakin, kind of hurt us last night angling to get out to San Diego for the winter meetings. We saw him today in person. He weaseled out. Yeah, I think, and he told me he was, you know, not feeling great, and he has a cold because of his kids. Come on now, that yeah. doesn't happen. This yeah, that that sounds like he doesn't want to expense to uh, plane tickets and hotels back and forth to San Diego. Man, that that's what I heard. I mean, could you imagine how good the show would be from San Diego next week? We'd be locked in. We'd be far more tan than we are right now. Well, that I mean, that's not hard. I mean, I'm not. I'm. You put me in the sun for ten seconds, I'd be more tan than I am right now. Also, I mean, hey, Dave Dabrowski will be out there. Maybe he'll hop on the show. Usually the managers go, or general manager, maybe Sam Fold, someone. I don't know. Maybe they'll sign Trey Turner and give him to us. Speaking of Trey Turner, the rumors are flying right now across Major League Baseball. And it's interesting. This one all kind of surfaced today. It's been quiet, I would say, the last two weeks or so. You know, Aaron Judge went and visited the Giants. And that was a big thing for a couple days. And, uh, you know, next week's the winter meeting. So next week, I'd imagine this stuff's going to start to percolate a little bit. And we'll get some some news. And, and I, I would think next week is next time. Next week is the first winter meetings in person since 2019. If I remember correctly, that was a pretty wild one where Garrett Cole got his money. Rendon got his money. Like they had a lot of big signings. I think the Phillies signed Wheeler right at like this time, right before the winter meetings. So, like, once in a while, and, and we've had a couple off seasons in a row that have been interrupted, pandemic, revenues were down in baseball last year was the lockout, so it's been it's been weird. It hasn't been like normal, but um, 
Today, Buster Only threw this out there, and then we'll let you hear what uh, John Morosi had to say. So Buster Only, a longtime agent, a quote from a longtime agent, quote, the Phillies will wind up at one of the elite shortstops. That's going to happen. And then he he uh, he clarified the elite shortstops available in free agency, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, and Trey Turner. So adding to that, here's John Morosi today on MLB Network, the latest on Trey Turner and the possible fit here in Philadelphia. I think right now the Phillies are viewed as the favorites. There are other teams involved, certainly, but the fit for Philadelphia is there. They are in a situation where they just made it to the World Series. They might be one player away from being able to win it all in 2023. And Trey Turner said by many to have a preference to play for a team that trains in Florida. Of course, he's a native Floridian, uh, a very close friend of Bryce Harper's. Began his career in the National League East with the Nationals. uh, Won a World Series championship there with the Nats. You see what a dynamic talent he is. And I'll, I'll say this, he is probably headed for an average annual value in excess of $30 million a year. Oh, boy. That's a lot of money. Uh, and he's a really good player. I like Trey Turner. And I'd be excited if the Phillies got him. I think he'd be a really good fit within this offense, obviously on defense and, and what they'd have with Stott at, him, uh, Stott at second, him at short. I'd be into the idea of Trey Turner. Now, $30 million, over $30 million per year. It's not my money. It's, it's John Middleton's money. And I'd be perfectly fine if, if they went over the tax again. My only thought on all this is, if they're going to spend this much on a shortstop, are they going to increase the payroll or keep the payroll at a level where they can also add the other things they need? They need another starter, a major league starter they could count on, like a legitimate major league starter that will cost money. I mean, you don't just get free agent starters for $4 million. I mean, you get Chase Anderson for $4 million. But if you want one that could pitch and you could call a, a legitimate number three or four, which I think is – you could say they need. They need someone like that. It's going to cost $10, $12 million at, at the bare minimum per season. So are they going to have enough money to go get that guy? And I also think they need to sign a reliever or two that, again, will cost – I mean, what was Knable last year, $10 million? They need, they need another Corey Knable type. Now, hopefully he's better. But they need another arm out there. I think I, I saw today – I think Scott Lauber had it. They have to replace 411 innings that are leaving as free agents. Now, I think Andrew Painter is going to join this thing pretty fast. But how many innings is Andrew Painter going to give them next season? 120? 150 if it's like the perfect rookie season without injury and and he's on track and he pitches well and he gets here in April? That's still a lot of innings. I mean, where are they getting 250 innings from? They're going to need to sign a legitimate Major League starting pitcher and a reliever or two to get to all those innings even if we are including Painter in this. And again, he's not a lock. He's 19 years old. But 411 innings is, is a lot of innings. I just, can they sign Turner and get 411 quality innings in free agency? You know, Kyle Gibson was second on the team in innings pitched this I year. I know. Now, they weren't always good innings. No, they weren't quality innings. If you're asking for quality innings, that, that might cost a little more. And that's why, as much as I would like Trey Turner, as much as I think he would be a great fit, I don't know, wouldn't you rather see them take a step down and go after someone like Xander Bogarts or even Dan Swanson and then still have the money? to add key pieces to the back end of the bullpen and add pieces to the back end of this rotation? Yeah, I I'm, I was thinking about this report today more and more as the day went on. So do you, do you think it's interesting that every time that Trey Turner's name is brought up in conjunction with the Phillies, we hear two things every time. He likes the East Coast, right? He li- he'd prefer to sign with a team that trains in Florida. 
and then the Bryce Harper connection. You haven't heard any that the Phillies prefer him, right? That he's the, that they love him. He's a better player than Bogarts. They the Correa. It's it's always his connection here. You know, my new theory is because I've I've been thinking about like where else would he go? And all the other rumors out there, all the other potential suitors for Trey Turner play on the West Coast, the Giants, the Dodgers potentially, the the uh, Seattle Mariners potentially interested. I wonder if this is being thrown out there to make those teams feel like they have to pay more. Like, well, I mean, Trey Turner, I mean, he, he wants to be in Philadelphia. He wants to be on the East Coast. Like, where else is he going to go if the Phillies don't offer him? The, it, it's a, it, the whole thing is kind of strange how everyone is saying this is, is happening or could happen, and it keeps bringing up the East Coast thing. It's, I, it feels to me like maybe some sort of leverage ploy, like, hey, he'd rather be there, so hey, Giants or hey, Mariners, you got to pay more. Yeah, I mean, there were rumors about the Mets at the very beginning of the offseason, but that hasn't happened. Right. And you feel like if Steve Cohen was willing to pay Trey Turner and he was this interested in playing on the East Coast, that would be done by now. Do the Braves have the money for it? I know they've been interested in DeGrom and Maybe. they lost Swanson. Like, that could be an upgrade as sort of what they did when they just went out and traded for Matt Olson instead of re-signing Freddie Freeman. But you're right, like, teams on the East Coast, I don't think there are a lot either one that needs a shortstop or two have the money to go out and get someone like Trey Turner. It's a strange – it feels like a negotiating play. And for the Phillies, like if, if, if I'm Dave Dombrowski and I'm like, well, you want to be on the East Coast, your friends are Bryce Harper, there's no other team on this region that really is, is pursuing you. Like, why would the Phillies offer him a record deal? Like, do you want to be – if you want to be on the East Coast, you want to play with Bryce Harper, he's $25 million a year. It, it's – I think it could happen, and they obviously, I'm sure they like the player. He's he's really good, and I, I think he'd be a, a wonderful fit with the Phillies, and and I think he'd be a fan favorite here in ten seconds. But it's something odd about the reporting on this, especially because John Heyman, who if I had to if I had to like rank the the insiders and how often they they kind of know what's going to happen, Heyman's usually pretty good. Remember, he was the one the whole time that everyone was like you know, all the rumors with Bryce Harper, and then who had the who had the news first. It was him. Who's the guy? He's connected Bogarts to the Phillies. Everyone else is doing the Turner thing. Every Heyman wrote about the Phillies. He's written Bogarts. That's that's the one. And Bogarts has the Dombrowski connection. Yes. Which is something, if you look back, is part of the reason why Nick Castellanos ended up here. Exactly. And then today, uh, Peter Gammons, I thought this was really interesting. Peter Gammons, of course, you know, longtime MLB insider and, um, and writer. I'm a big fan of Peter Gammons. He threw out today a really interesting... Uh, thing he had heard up in Boston about Bogarts that basically that it's over. Like the Red Sox and 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 Bogarts are going their separate ways, and and he's not going to be back. So uh, this is what he said today. But while one doubts Bogarts would switch positions in the past three days, front office folks from three teams claim they've been told he has severed Boston ties and won't be going back. Whether that's negotiating leverage or talk, there's really no confirmation. But there's there's some rumors up there that Bogarts has basically told him, "I'm out." You're not offering enough. You whatever. I'm out. So, I I think Turner. Ha- there's something to this, but I still wouldn't be surprised if it is if it ends up being a um, a Xander Bogart type of situation. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. It's how you hop aboard. Jack's gonna join us coming up in, in about twenty minutes. So I, I can't tell. So. Uh, a little behind the scenes here on the show. Tucker has a little cough he's dealing with, and I can't tell the last couple nights if Tucker's in a fit of laughter or coughing. No, that was a cough. Okay, it might have been spurned on by a bit of laughter, but that was that was a full fledged cough. 
but I got my I got my Robitussin back here, so I'm good. I mean, it happens to all of us, uh, and it is the time of year anyway. Yeah, but I, once in a while, something will happen, and Tucker will start laughing behind the glass. It happens, right? It's 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 there's a lot going on over here. But I, so a minute ago, I couldn't tell. Did I say something wrong? Did I pronounce the name wrong? Was there a weird noise on the air? Is he why is he laughing? No, he's just he's just coughing back there. Um, okay, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Also. On the docket. Um, have you stopped debating our listener about Kurt Warner, or is that over? <laughs> I th- he hasn't responded. Okay. And, and I get, I do get where he's coming from, right? Because I, I said he was gone. I, I I meant in the context of our conversation, we were talking about the run the Eagles had from 01 to 04. Right. And where Donovan McNabb ranked in the hierarchy of NFC quarterbacks. And I said Kurt Warner was done by 20, or, or 2002, which is right. Like, he, he went 0-7 with the Rams in, in 02 and 03. And then he got moved to the Giants to be the stopgap before Eli Manning in 04. And then he was a backup and kind of terrible until 08. And I recognize he came back in 2008 and he beat the Eagles in the NFC title game. But in the context of that conversation, it was just the early 2000s. And in, in that in, in that context, he really did disappear. Like his, We were talking about his career in the break. I mean, Kurt Warner's career is so bizarre. I mean, to go from being the best quarterback in the league for – Three years or the two out of the three years, he was amazing, right? The 99 01 to then really, I mean, virtually not winning more than 10 games in the next what eight years, seven years, six years. Yeah, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame and he really only has like three decent seasons in his career. He's now, in the Hall of Fame, they were more than decent though, based on the fact that he won two MVPs in a three year span, right? You go and look at his first three years in St. Louis, he went 35 and eight as a starting quarterback with 98 touchdowns. That was unheard of back then. I mean, well, he averaged 32 touchdowns a year from 1999 to 2001. So to, to put in perspective, um, so we were having the conversation earlier about Jalen Hurts, right, and, and the opportunity the Eagles have right now because we were discussing Gannon. So I think Jonathan Gannon's a good defensive coordinator. We've got a lot of pushback tonight where people just don't want to give him credit, say he's not good. I got one guy telling me Jim Johnson's rolling over in his grave. Rest in peace, Jim Johnson, because of, of what I'm saying about Jonathan Gannon tonight. We got, I mean, people just don't want to recognize that Jonathan Gannon's a good defensive coordinator. I, I, again, I, I try to just give you the, give the truth here. I, I can only lead the, the horse to water. I, I can't make you drink it. But the, we're talking about Gannon and, and the context of the league right now, and a lot of people have complained well, he hasn't faced any good quarterbacks. Well, how many great quarterbacks are even in the NFL right now, specifically the NFC? I, I, I brought up the 49ers, their schedule. How many great quarterbacks the 49ers beat this year? Not many. When they face when they faced a great one in Patrick Holmes, they got torched. Like great the, the few great quarterbacks can torch any defense. That's why they're great. And the league right now, especially the NFC, is is littered with blah. I also think if you look at the quarterbacks who are playing well this year. A lot of them are names you wouldn't expect, right? Like, there are only six quarterbacks right now that have a passer rating over 100, and it's Tua Tugavailoa, who I don't think a lot of people necessarily consider elite yet, even mm-hmm. though he's having a great season. Number two is Geno Smith, who, while he's having a great season, I think a lot of people still think of him as a joke and a meme. Jalen Hurts is three. Patrick Mahomes is four. Jimmy Garoppolo is five, and Joe Burrow is six. Like, that's it. And of those six quarterbacks, only two – have we come into the season, if you would have asked somebody in August, would they have said are elite? I mean, the other guys that we consider elite, Josh Allen, who always having a great season, and he's fantastic with his legs. He's ninth right now in pass rating. Aaron Rodgers is 13th. Tom Brady's 15th. Lamar Jackson is 17th. And then if you scroll all the way down, uh, who am I looking for? 
Russell Wilson is 29th. <laughs> well, like the guys that we would have yeah. said are top five and top ten quarterbacks at the beginning of the season aren't playing like that. I, I am fascinated, just quickly off topic, how history is going to remember Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think when this season ends, will play in his third title game in the last four years. And yet you bring him up and people say he stinks. At some point, doesn't Kyle Shanahan just have to admit that's his quarterback? Yes. I mean, if he if he goes to title game again, they're going to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo? They tried this already, and that guy couldn't play and got hurt. And and as soon as he came back on the field, his teammates started jumping up and down. It's crazy. Like, no one wants to admit he's pretty good. Like, is he elite? No, but, like, he's pretty good. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. All right. So let's go back to the point Tucker made and the comparison hurts now within the context of the NFC. Not many great quarterbacks in this conference. I mean, right now it's Jalen Hurts, Jimmy Garoppolo. It's really Smith, Hurts, and Garoppolo are the three quarterbacks. And you can throw Dak Prescott in there because I think he's played well since he's come back. Yep, that's it. Uh, I I think Cousins is pretty good, though. He's having a down year by his own standards. He's not having a great statistical season. So it's not a great conference, right? The other conference has Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. There's a lot over there. That's not the NFC. I went back to 2004, right, to this this point, this kind of period of time. And I would think 04, we'd all agree, was the peak, right? That was Donovan's best season. That was the Eagles' best season. They got to the Super Bowl. Here are the NFC quarterbacks, and I'm going to rent, and this is by passer rating in 2004. Dante Culpepper was one. Culpepper, that was before he got hurt, had a big year. Donovan was number two. You know what number three in passer rating in the NFC was in 2004? It was Brian Greasy. Okay, Brian Greasy. Who only made 10 starts, went yes. four and six. Okay, so it was Brian Greasy in, in, in a four and six record. Next was Brett Favre, and the, the drop. Oh, excuse me, Mark Bolger was next. Then it was Brett Favre, and the drop from, from McNabb to, to Bolger-Favre was, was a pretty significant one in terms of pass rating, like 12 points. After that, it was Jake Delhomme. I mean, that's pretty significant. After that, it was Kurt Warner who was benched by the Giants middle of the season. And then you have to go down to Matt Hasselbeck and Aaron Brooks after that. Like, the Eagles did have a big advantage. There really was, outside of Donovan... Not much. It's like it is like the NFC right now. You know, two teams made the playoffs that year at eight and eight. Was that the Panthers or the Rams? Vikings and the Rams? And the Eagles faced one of them in their first. And the Eagles game. played the Vikings in the first game. I think Freddie Mitchell had three touchdowns that game. And the other side of the bracket was the Rams against the Falcons. I think it was, and the Falcons came here after that. Yes, and you can throw Michael Vick in that conversation. His pass rating was seventy-seven because right. he wasn't good there. But even the guys you mentioned, right? Like Brett Favre made the postseason, but. Kurt Warner got benched. They were 6-10. and 10. Um, Who were the other guys? Brian Greasy and Tampa Bay. They didn't make the playoffs. They went 5-11. and 11. I mean, a lot of those guys put up half-decent numbers, but for terrible teams, the teams you played in the postseason, they weren't that great. Like, Hasselbeck was league average. Uh, Bolger with the Rams, it was just okay. I mean, what you faced in the playoffs wasn't anything close to if you went over to the AFC, where you had Tom Brady and you had Peyton Manning, who I think is passerating that year was like 120. Yeah, and the other, I mean, just to full context, because the other quarterbacks in the NFC that year were Mark Brunel, I mean, the, an old Mark Brunel, uh, Josh McCown for the, man, Josh McCown. A played, young Josh McCown? Yeah, Josh McCown, 25-year-old Josh McCown. Imagine telling someone in 2004 that in 15 years, Josh McCown would be playing for the Eagles in a playoff game. No. <laughs> this guy's going to be out of the league in five minutes. McCown, it was Patrick Ramsey. 
Vinny Testaverde started 15 games for the Cowboys that year. Remember we were talking about who's in the division? That run of bat. Boy, the Cowboys, between Aikman and Romo, it was a graveyard of Cowboys quarterbacks. Do you know who started the other game for them that year? So this is the 04 Cowboys? Yes. I, I mean, I, uh, no idea. Drew Henson. The, the former baseball player. Yeah, he, played he third, made one start for them. He played third base for the Yankees in the minor leagues. Like The Cowboys had terrible quarterbacks when Andy Reid got here and, and the Eagles started to turn around. Terrible. Quincy Carter, Testaverde, Henson, Hutchinson. Bledsoe. They had Bledsoe for a while. Bledsoe was actually probably, you know, he was at least competent compared to and the And then Yankees. he got hurt and lost a shot to Tony Romo. And, yeah, right. and then they were good and, and they had a good quarterback for a while. So, yeah, I mean, that was the NFC quarterbacks. Joey Harrington, Tim Rattay. I mean, my goodness. It is like this year. Look at the NFC quarterbacks. And again, we go back to 17. A lot of luck happened that year. Aaron Rodgers got hurt. The Eagles got to play Case Keenum in the NFC title game. 04. Their competition in the playoffs was, you know, you know, Michael Vick, who at that point was just really an athlete, not a polished quarterback. And, and they got to play the Vikings the week before. I mean, they didn't have to play greatness. I think sometimes we, we don't want to acknowledge that luck, that timing plays a real role in in championships. It does. And you have to apologize for it. Like the Eagles are 10 and one. They could win the Super Bowl this year. Have they played a tough schedule? Not really. Are they going to have to face great quarterbacks in the playoffs? Probably not. Does anyone care? Like when it's all said and done, if there's a parade here in February, is anyone going to care? I, I don't think so. No one cared. No one said a word about this at 17. That's what, what kind of strikes me as, as, as bizarre about all this. It, it just, it's odd. And as far as Jonathan Gannon goes, you, you play who's on your schedule. It's in the context of the league. The 49ers not played a very difficult schedule in terms of quarterbacks they face. They're number one in yards per play. The Eagles have not played a very difficult schedule. They're number two. The Cowboys are up there. Right? I mean, these are the teams you play. These are the, these are the it's what's on your schedule. I mean, at the, end of the, at the end of the year, if the Eagles are top five in points allowed or they're top five in yards allowed or whatever the category we're talking about, I don't think we'll look back and say, yeah, well, they played a soft schedule. You know, here's what we'll say. We'll say they won a lot of games and their defense played well. That's the bottom line. There's a lot of fear out there about what happens if the Eagles play the wrong opponent. Well, I mean, that could happen. But there's also a real chance they're going to have home field and get to at least the NFC Championship game. In fact, I, if, I, if you had asked me right now what's, what's the bare minimum, I think they're going to be in the NFC Championship game, even with the flaws they have. Run game, special teams, I think they're going to be there playing for a chance to get to the Super Bowl. I, I would be disappointed and, frankly, surprised if they're not, if they lose that first playoff game here in Philadelphia because what are we talking about in potential matchups? Likely Dallas or Tampa Bay, or if there's an upset of Seattle or um, I don't, Giants, I, I, I think the Eagles will be in the NFC Championship game. I, I've kind of set the floor at that now for their season in the NFC title game. You there? I think so. I think at this point, if Jalen Hurts remains healthy, anything less than hosting the NFC title game would be a disappointment. It really would. Yeah, and and then look, it's get winning that game. That's that's where we kind of reset the bar. Will they win that game against the Super Bowl? I think there's a real chance they will. They'll probably be. I do wonder what a, a type of Vegas line would be on an Eagles Niners NFC title game here. Eagles Sarah by. Two and a half, three? I would say three and a half. Maybe it starts at four and gets down to, to three. 
over the course of a week. Yeah, and and again, we we project this out. The Eagles probably have 14 wins, and the Niners have 11, something like that. It, there's a gap between the two teams. But I do think the Niners are viewed more favorably in the public right now. Yeah, even though the Eagles are, are, you know, way ahead of them, and, and they have the inside track at the number one seed. I think if you ask people right now, who's the better team since they got Christian McCaffrey and got a little bit healthier, a lot of people would lean towards San Francisco. It's interesting. Their defense has shown up every week, but their offense is spotty. I, I and I don't know why. I mean, they lost eleven ten to Russell Wilson. I know, and and I think Garoppolo takes the blame for it. And they have so many weapons. I mean, they they really do. Uh, it's odd how sometimes they just don't score. The Eagles, for the most part, don't have weeks like that. Right? They had the Colts game where there was a real slog, and they scored a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter to get to seventeen. That's the least they've scored, though, right? All year, 17. Yeah, I think the one big thing is their red zone offense is, like, number one or number two in the NFL. Right. San Francisco's from the middle of the pack. But the other thing I find interesting is we talk about how amazing and how, how vaunted that San Francisco rushing attack is. You know they're 18th in the league in yards per carrier right now? Like, they're fine, and obviously you would fear Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel coming out of that backfield, but it's not like they're the Baltimore Ravens who are averaging 5.5 yards per carry. They're not, right? And the Eagles have scored 303 points this season. That ranks third in the NFL. Kansas City, Buffalo, and the Eagles, top three. You have to go all the way down. The Niners at 249. I mean, that's I think that's less than half half the pack. Three, six, nine, twelve. Yeah, I mean, they're middle of the pack. They're 15th. 15th in, in points scored um, this season. It should be better with, with all the weapons they have. It really should be. Brian is up on WIP. Hey, Brian. Hey, JJ. What's happening? How you doing, buddy? What's on your mind tonight? So, first of all, what you guys were just talking about, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if the Eagles were less than a, than a four-point favorite in a, in a Niners championship game. Especially because <laughs> the game will be here, so they'll have the home field. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that team, I mean, they're good, obviously, but I just don't see them coming here and winning a football game, you know, late in the year like that. You know, I could be wrong, but – you know, but to your point, the, the offense has been very spotty, which is kind of odd. The, the defense obviously is very good, but none of these, honestly, none of these teams get probably the team that would scare me the most because until Jalen proves he can beat them, unfortunately, is the stinking Cowboys. <laughs> well, and, and their defense and Micah Parsons could wreck a game. No, they did play well against him here, but that was Cooper Rush, right? It wasn't the full complement of Cowboys in October. Well, and, and, and that's the thing. You know, if it wasn't Cooper Rush and it was Prescott that started that game, uh, you know, I would feel better about it. Look, and I think the Eagles are better than Dallas, and I think they would beat them. But that's uh, that's honestly the game that scares me. You know, and, and just a couple other things. Gannon, yes, he's absolutely a, a, a good coordinator. Um, do I agree with everything he does? Do I think he's a little soft at times? I do. But, you know, I'm old enough that I, I remember Buddy, his 46 defense – I mean, unless you had Hall of Famers, his defense was so aggressive, it was a joke. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, but he had so such good players, both in Chicago and Philadelphia, that he could run that style of defense where he could just do whatever, basically whatever he wanted. And even Jim Johnson, who we, we all love and all, but I used to get a little – I thought he blissed too much, personally. That was my opinion. You know, and that's a, that's, you know, a few years back. But, you know, and, and to your point, the league is a lot different these days you know it's a, a much more passing league yeah and most of these know. quarterbacks now brian they're better against the blitz than not like their numbers are actually better it's, it's almost like these offenses have become it's hard to blitz them because there's so many good athletes they get the ball in space and they make a big play 
that that, that is so true. A hundred percent. Yeah, you just you just can't bring the house every you know, every other play. It just it, it just doesn't make sense in in the league the way it's constituted right now. It's just you know. So I, and I think Gannon, like I said, I, he does. I think he's a little soft at times, you know, but. I mean, I think overall, he, he definitely does a good job, with it, without a doubt. Yeah, and it works for them, and it works in the context of, of what they do with the offense, too. And, Brian, appreciate the phone call. I mean, look, the bottom line is, if the Eagles remain a top-10 defense in points allowed, if they remain a top-5 defense in yards per play, that's there. We, we can't take that away from them, whether you like the style or not. It works. It has been effective. And these and they've taken – the one thing we, we all have to agree on, because – Last year, they didn't force enough turnovers. They have 23 forced turnovers this season. That is an enormous Do you amount. think that's sustainable, though? There's a lot of randomness to turnovers, especially on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, but don't they profile as a team that should, right? They have good secondary players, good defensive backs, and they have good pressure rate. Like, that should equal turnovers. It should, but you also end up sometimes with balls sitting off guys' heads or, like on or quarterbacks Sunday. holding onto the ball. Yeah, like Slay. Who, did you notice after the game he pretended that didn't happen? He's like, oh, I batted it to him. Did you? Well, in the head. Yeah, this is in the World Cup. I don't think you did it intentionally. You think he's a little bit bummed out that he didn't get the pick? He did say he was frustrated because both Blankenship and Josiah Scott got interceptions off Aaron Rodgers before he did. He's never picked them off, right? No, and they played in the same division for seven years. Yeah, he's probably played them close to 20 times, right? Or seven, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that, and then he's played them twice here, or th- maybe three times. They Two or three times I played the Packers since Slay got to Philadelphia. So, yeah, he's played him a lot. So it's probably up, upwards of 15 to 20 times he's played Aaron Rodgers. Never got him. I mean, Rodgers doesn't throw many picks. That's not that surprising. But in the same game, Josiah Scott and Blankenship. Now, some of it is random tips. and what, But that Blankenship was a nice play. I mean, he, he baited Rodgers into that. That was, that was a really nice play. 215-592-9494. Up next, hot stove check-in. Jack Fritz of the High Hopes Podcast joins us to give his perfect offseason and his take on the Trey Turner rumor of the day on Sports Radio 94 WIP.